0: Welcome friends, you are listening to the podcast for First Christian Church in Fort Myers, Florida. To learn more, join us online at fccfm.org. It is a blessing to be able to share God's word with you today. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Something we like to share every single Sunday here at FCC is the mission statement of our church. Connecting all people to Jesus and each other. And it's important for us to do that because it's important to remember exactly why we are here and the reasons we do the things we do. And because it's important to keep Jesus as the focus of everything we do and to keep that mission of connecting people to Jesus as the focus of all of our ministries. And so it's something we say every single Sunday. Sunday. In fact, one day there was a lady who pulled me aside and she said to me, she said, I used to wonder why we have to recite our church mission statement every single Sunday. Like, do we need to say it every Sunday? Because we all already know it if we attend church here regularly. And uh, I'm not sure that's actually the truth, but I appreciate her optimism. But then she said this, she said, but I was visiting another church last week when I was out of town and they didn't say who they were or why they were gathering or what the focus of their ministries were and I found myself wondering what that church was all about. And then I realized, she said, how important it is to be reminded of our mission and especially how important it is for all of our guests and first time attenders to discover up front who we are and what we're all about. And when she said that, I was like, yes. She gets it. And so we share our mission statement every single Sunday here at FCC, connecting all people to Jesus and each other. Everything centers around Jesus and connecting people to Jesus. And in order to truly connect with Jesus, we need to connect with each other as well because the people of Jesus are a connected people. We are a spiritual family. And if you are our guest today, I want you to know we are all about Jesus here at FCC. And I especially want you to know that during this particular sermon series, which is all about money, that we as a church are all about Jesus. Because here's what happens at at times. When churches spend a few weeks on the topic of money, people can get the idea that the church is only about money. And that is not the case here. But we are going to talk about money all of this month because we are all about Jesus. And something Jesus talked about an awful lot was money. In fact, it has been said that one in every six statements made by Jesus had something to do with money. And so, money conversations aren't something we should avoid at church or as Christians. Because the truth is, and Jesus knew this, and that's why he spoke about it so often, money affects everything. It really does. I mean, it affects your physical health. People with less money are more likely to be overweight. Did you know that? It's true. It also affects your mental and emotional health. People struggling with money often struggle with anxiety and depression and hopelessness as well. And it affects your relational health. Money problems and financial disagreements are the number one reason for failed relationships. And it even affects generational health. One of the most consistent predictors of poverty and wealth is the financial condition of the family you were born into. And so every year at FCC, we spend one month, just one month for the entire year, where we talk about stewardship and money. Now, stewardship is the idea that everything in the world, all that exists, including everything we've owned, everything we earn, everything in fact belongs to God. That whatever we have, it's it's actually God's stuff, not our stuff, and, and we are stewarding it for Him. Let me give you an example of stewardship. Before I moved here, I had a 1976. Corvette. And before you start thinking preachers and sneakers and stuff like that, I I just want you to know the car I had was not expensive. I bought it for $8,000. I sold it a few years later for $9,000. It was not a garage queen. It was the car I drove. But I never really felt like I was the owner of that car. I always felt like I was the steward of that car because the thing was, it, it was older than me, it was around before me, and if I took care of it well, if I stewarded it well, I knew it would be around after me. And so for the few years I had it, I was responsible for it. It was on me to care for it and to keep it up and to keep it working and keep it going and keep it doing what it was designed to do until I passed it along for the next person to enjoy I don't know what it was about that car, but I just felt like it was, it was bigger than me, that I wasn't the owner, I was the steward. And that's what stewardship is. It's, it's the idea that everything in the world, including everything we earn and everything we own, that it belongs to God and he shares it with us to enjoy. And we need to care for what he shares with us in a way that honors him. We, we should think of our land this way. We steward, we conserve our land, right? We should think of our, our natural resources this way. We steward them, we conserve them. We should think of, of money this way. We steward it in a God-honoring way. And we should think of our children this way. We don't possess them, we steward them. Our kids, they they don't actually belong to us, they belong to God. Psalm 127 verse 3 says that, that our children are a gift from the Lord. They're under our care for a season and during that season we are to prepare them for life after us. And one of the most important ways to care for them in our season of of parenting and to prepare them for life after us is to teach them how to win with money. Now, the number one thing we have to teach our kids in the parenting season is how to love. That's number one, how to love. How to love God and how to love people. And then, of course, we also need to teach them about, about emotional health and mental health and physical health and relational health. But teaching them about financial health is extremely important as well. Proverbs chapter 22, verse six says, start children off in the way they should go. And even when they're old, they will not turn from it. Speaking of seasons, it wasn't all that long ago that I only thought of financial health in terms of my own financial health. But as my two older sons are now entering into adulthood, I'm thinking more and more about their financial health. And so what we're gonna do in this series is we're gonna discover not just how to win with money, which applies to all of us, and this is, of course, from a biblical perspective, not just how to win with money, but also how to teach our kids to win with money, which applies to our kids and to our grandkids and to the future of First Christian Church. And that brings us to our big idea for today. Here it is. If we want our kids to win with money, we have to teach them how to work healthy. If we wanna teach our kids to win with money, we have to teach them how to work hard and work healthy. I mean, it takes hard work to earn money in a God-honoring way, and it takes hard work to manage money in a God-honoring way, and if we wanna teach our kids how to win with money, we have to teach them how to work hard, but also how to work healthy. I was five years old, my parents started thinking more about my future and, and, uh, and worrying about how they would instill in me and my siblings a, a strong work ethic, a personal and professional drive to work with all of our might, as Solomon would say in the book of Ecclesiastes. But my parents, they, they looked around and they saw us kids, they saw us sitting around watching cable TV and, and, and they saw us playing Pac-Man and Super Breakout and yes, I am that many years old and they worried that our residential lifestyle might not prepare us well enough for real life. And, and so they decided to buy a farm. They bought 80 acres and they moved us out onto this 80 acres for the express purpose of giving us responsibilities and teaching us how to work. And I'm just gonna say it was hard work. And I am thankful I don't work that way anymore. Like I work hard today, but that was hard work in a different way. I don't get up before sunrise to give hay to the cows and grain to the horses to feed and water the rabbits and the chickens and the goats anymore. And I don't care if I never do that again. (laughs) But I do share my parents' concern about whether or not our our present residential lives will properly prepare our kids for the future. I wonder if any of you share my concern. As our kids spend hours on video games and hours on social media and hours texting and oh by the way it's not just our kids sometimes i wonder if this will prepare them for real life or if this is in fact now real life what do we do what do we do about all that well we we find ways to teach them how to work healthy if we want our kids to win in life and win win with money we have to teach them how to work hard We also teach them how to work healthy. And so that's how we're starting off this new sermon series. And I want you to know this, this whole series, it comes from the Jewish scriptures, from the Old Testament, from the book of Proverbs. And Proverbs is one of my favorite books in the entire Bible because it's a book that's all about wisdom. And I like to define wisdom as as what normally works. Wisdom is what normally works. Now, wisdom is is not the same as absolute truth. Absolute truth is what absolutely, always, irrevocably corresponds to reality. It's what's always true and what always works. Wisdom is not that. Wisdom is not what always works. Wisdom is what normally works. Proverbs 22, 6. Again, we just read it a few minutes ago. It says, start children off on the way they should go, and even when they're old, they will not depart from it. Is that absolutely always irrevocably true? The answer is no, it's not, because children are people, and people have free will. But is that normally true? Well, yes, it is. If you point your kids in the right direction, they have a better chance of going that direction into adulthood. And so this sermon series it comes from the book of Proverbs, and and the question for today is: What do the proverbs say about winning with money as it relates to having a healthy work ethic? And to answer that question, I want us to take a look at Proverbs chapter six, verses one through eleven. This is Solomon speaking. He says, "My son, it's a father teaching his child how to win with money. My son." If you have put up security for your neighbor, if you have shaken hands and pledged for a stranger, if you have been trapped by what you said ensnared by the words of your mouth, do this, my son, to free yourself, since you have fallen into your neighbor's hands. Go to the point of exhaustion and give your neighbor no rest. Allow no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. Free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the snare of a fowler." Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander or overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. And from these proverbs, I want to share three keys. winning with money and its relationship to having a healthy work ethic and here is the first key if you are taking notes this is number one set goals if you want to win with money you have to set goals because the thing is and this this applies to every area of life including your money if you don't know where you're going you are not going to get there You're not gonna stumble your way into financial health. You're not gonna gamble your way into financial health. You're not likely going to social influence your way into financial health. You're gonna have to work your way into financial health. But to do so, you're gonna have to have an understanding of what financial health looks like. And and once you understand what it looks like, then you can set the goals that you want to reach, and then you can chart the course to get there. My oldest son, Drew, He defines, he has several definitions for financial health. This is stuff we've talked about as he has grown up. He has several definitions. One of them includes living his life with as little debt as possible. And so he had a goal going all the way back into high school, he had a goal and that was with his hard work and with our hard work that he would earn enough money and he would save enough money and he would earn good enough grades to be able to go to college and graduate college without any student debt and he did it. He just graduated in December and he has no debt. Was it hard? Yeah, it was hard. It was hard for him, it was hard for us, it was hard. But if he didn't define financial health in part as living without debt or with as little debt as possible, and if he didn't have a personal goal of getting through college without debt, what do you think would have happened? i tell you what happened. He would have been in the space that so many young people are today. He would have racked up tons of college debt, but he didn't because he had a goal from the get-go to stay out of debt. Look again at Proverbs chapter six. This is gonna be verses one through five. My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, if you've shaken hands and pledged for a stranger, you've been trapped by what you said and snared by the words of your mouth, Do this, my son, to free yourself since you have fallen into your neighbor's hands. Go to the point of exhaustion and give your neighbor no rest. Allow no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. Free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the snare of the fowler. So what's going on in these Proverbs? Well, first of all, King Solomon is one of the richest men who's ever lived. And he's telling his son, he's teaching his son how to win with money. So that's first. Second thing is, Solomon is also telling his son in this particular passage what to do if he finds himself in financial trouble. And this is interesting because Solomon was rich and his son had access to incredible wealth. And so you might wonder, how might his rich son get into financial trouble? I mean, he wouldn't lack money. He wouldn't need to borrow money. So how would he get into trouble? Well, you can see it in the text by co-signing a loan for a friend. To put up security for a neighbor then was like co-signing a loan today. And if you have a friend who needs a loan, but he can't afford a loan, they need a co-signer who will guarantee repayment. And by the way, and this is just kind of a side note, if they need a co-signer, that likely means they cannot afford the loan. And that's why it's almost always unwise to co-sign for a loan. The bank says says to the borrower, you can't afford this loan, so you need a cosigner. What you need to hear is they can't afford the loan, which means you shouldn't cosign the loan. And so Solomon's son might be tempted, as someone with wealth might be, to cosign for one of his less privileged friends. And that sounds like a really nice thing to do, right? Until the friend defaults on the debt. And so Solomon's son, with no need for debt, still finds himself in debt. And and what does Solomon say? Well, Solomon says, you get out of that debt as soon as possible. He says, free yourself like a gazelle from the snare of a hunter. And what is that? That is fast. That means as soon as possible. But what else does he seem to be saying? Well, he seems to be saying, son, you co-sign a loan. I'm not bailing you out. You get yourself into that situation, you'll work your way out of that situation. But what does this have to do with us setting goals? Well, don't get yourself into debt, that's a goal. How about this one? If you're in debt, get out of debt as soon as possible. That's also a goal. Teach your kids to set good goals and their financial futures will drastically improve. And so the first key to winning with money is to set goals. If you don't have goals, you're not gonna get where you need to go. That's number one. Number two, self-start. Self-start. If, if you wanna win with money, you have to be a self-starter. You need, to find, you need to find an inner motivation. An inner motivation is what comes from inside of you, not outside of you. Inner motivation is, is inspirational. It's, it, it is personal. It is, it's actually freeing while outer motivation is bondage. So what is outer motivation? What does that look like? Well, outer motivation looks like a spouse saying, either you earn more money or our marriage is going to fail. Outer motivation looks like a banker saying, pay more money or we will foreclose on your home. Outer motivation looks like a car company saying, better credit or we won't sell you a car. Looks like a payday lender saying, huge interest or we'll garner your paycheck. If you don't have inner motivation, if you are not a self-starter, you're gonna get stuck with outer motivation and outer motivation is absolute bondage. Outer motivation is soul-sucking, life-choking, relationship-killing bondage. Parents, if you do not instill in your kids a healthy work ethic, they're going to suffer throughout their lives from outer motivation. But if you give them the gift of a strong, healthy work ethic, they will become self-starters with inward motivation. Proverbs chapter six, verses six through eight, it's all about self-starting. It says, go to the ant, you sluggard, consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler. Here, no outer motivation yet it stores its provision in summer and gathers its food at harvest and solomon illustrates this idea of self starting by telling his son to consider the ant the ant's work ethic is it's automatic it doesn't need outer motivation no commander no ruler yet it works hard it gathers relentlessly it saves diligently and so the, the keys to winning with money from proverbs chapter 6 number 1 set goals number 2 self start And number three, strike a balance. Verse four says, allow no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. Verses nine through 11, how long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of your hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a thief. And here Solomon emphasizes a connection between a lack of work ethic and poverty. And he's telling his son, if you spend all your time sleeping and relaxing and goofing off or maybe playing video games, poverty will come upon you. Well, let me mention a couple of things about this proverb that I believe are really important. It's actually pretty easy for people like Solomon, rich rich people like Solomon, to quickly connect poverty with laziness. But it's also easy for regular people like us to read this proverb and judge people who have less than us. And that's not fair. And it's not fair for several reasons. For one, laziness is only one predictor of poverty. And it is certainly not the biggest predictor of poverty. The biggest predictor of poverty is the family, the home life, You were born into. And that's why this series is so important. Because the truth is, most often, poverty and wealth are generational. And of course, yes, there are self made wealthy people, but the truth is, they're few and far between. Most people with privilege come from privilege, most people in poverty come from poverty. And if that does not apply to you, then I just want to say you are very unique. You are not normal. What's normal is wealth is generational and poverty is generational. And if you want to change your family pattern for the better, then this series is for you. Now, the other thing about this proverb is that what Solomon says here applies to his son. If his son ends up in poverty, it will be his own fault, because he comes from a very privileged life. Because he comes from wealth, he comes from power, he comes from a father who taught him how to do it. He has no excuses. Son, if you end up poor, it's not because I didn't teach you what you needed to know. It's not because I didn't give you everything you needed. It's not because I left the cupboard empty, it's because you squandered it. And so what you need to know, he's telling his son to work hard, but he's not telling his son to become a workaholic. Solomon's telling his son, if he gets in trouble financially, do whatever it takes to get out of trouble as quickly as possible. Because here's something else we know about winning with money. We know this from, from learned experiences. I think we know this from scripture. We know it from social science. And this connection between a healthy work ethic and, and, and winning with money, and the key word here is healthy, two things. Number one, a lazy work ethic can lead to financial poverty. But a ruthless work ethic will lead to relational poverty. And so we need to strike a balance. In fact, I believe that's what God had in mind when he prescribed a Sabbath, a day of rest and worship every single week work hard for six days, then rest, reflect, and worship one day every week. If we're gonna win with money, we're gonna have to set goals and we're gonna have to self-start, but if we're gonna win in life, then we're gonna have to strike a healthy work-life balance. We work hard, but then we rest, reflect, and worship as well. I hear something I love about this series. The things we're sharing in the series aren't just for your kids. They're for you too. And the thing is, they're also not just for you and your own personal finances. The principles we're going to discover in the series, they apply to businesses, and they apply to organizations, and they apply to governments, and they even apply to churches. And I just want you to know this, that as a church, we're gonna do our very best to live by these same principles. You know, as a church, we have ministry goals and and we also have financial goals. Goals we're working hard to achieve while striking a balance between the the money stuff and the ministry stuff. For instance, I I have some goals for our church, some financial goals for our church in 2023. One of them is we wanna completely pay off the mortgage on this building. We plan to do that this year and we believe that's gonna happen. That's one of our goals, get out of debt. And another one of our goals is that we wanna have, as a church, we wanna have the necessary income to fully fund our ministries. And so we have worked really hard on a budget this year. In the past, we've called it a ministry plan, but it's also a budget, and we're gonna have that available to you to take a look at in the next few weeks. But we've worked really hard on creating a very realistic budget for our church. And part of that budget, in addition to all the things we did last year, is we want to invest even more money this year in our children's ministries and more money in our student ministries because we really want to grow our ministries to families. And so our 2023 budget represents about an 8% increase over our 2022 budget. And that's a pretty big jump. But it's also a really important jump to help meet the needs of our growing ministries and so yeah, the principles in this series, set goals, right? I have several goals for our church and one is ensuring that we have the income to fund our ministries and our staff and our leaders are working really hard to make that happen all the while striking that healthy balance between ministry and money. And my invitation to you today is that you will join us in that effort, that you would be willing to help us fully fund our ministries by growing your generosity here at FCC. In fact, that's our, our takeaway for today today our takeaway is that you would continue to contribute generously to the ministry of FCC and perhaps consider increasing your giving because your giving fuels and funds the ministry of this church. We cannot do it without your generosity. Back to the series. Set goals, self-start, strike a balance. That's how you begin the journey of winning with money. And all of these principles, they're principles we need in our lives, and we need to instill them in our children's lives as they grow into adulthood. And you might be saying, why do we got to talk about this? Like, church is supposed to be about spiritual stuff, right? Why does this matter? Well, it matters because Jesus, in Matthew 6 21, said this. He said, Where your treasure is there your heart will be also we need to raise our kids to have healthy hearts so that they can have healthy lives healthy relationships and healthy souls and how we teach them to handle money is an essential part of that let's pray Heavenly Father, we thank you for loving us and for providing so generously and sacrificially for us. Help us to be good stewards of all that you have given us, of our families and our finances and our church. Help us to set goals together and work hard together and be generous together and raise our children and our families together and rest and reflect and worship together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We pray this message has been a blessing to you. If we can pray for you or encourage you in any capacity, please let us know at FCCFM.org.